I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 417. Hello, and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. I love it when catchy songs sing about big ideas that we can explore together. And this week's song, My God is Still the Same by Sanctus Real, is not only one of the top airplayed songs on the radio today, but it celebrates a really big attribute of God. Before we get into all of that, let's listen. idea of God being unchanging, or as Sanctus Real sings, the same, it's woven throughout scripture. And over time, theologians have given a fancy name to describe this attribute that belongs to God. But absolutely, this attribute does not belong to us. And this idea of unchangingness is called immutability. And it's an incommunicable attribute of God, meaning it's only possessed by God and cannot be possessed by humans, as opposed to communicable, uh, communicable, easy for me to say, attributes like love and patience. So we can display love and patience. We can display those attributes, though not perfectly, of course. So when we're talking about the unchanging nature of God, we're talking about his immutability. And that's an attribute that can only belong to God. Now, in an article from Table Talk, and I'll, go, I'll link to that article in the show notes, immutability means that God is unchangeable in essence, his nature, and his perfections. And this entails, among other things, that God cannot increase or decrease in his essence or attributes. Huh. So I was in a gathering recently where the song repeated that God keeps getting better and better. And I commented to a friend that they should have added to me in the lyrics, because although the closer we get to God, the better he looks to us. He cannot get better and better over time because he is immutable. He's unchanging. I'm reminded of the line in the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It says, Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. And as a side note, (laughs) I was glancing over an article on um, Thomas Chisholm, the author of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I saw something that made me smile. I just had to share it with you. It says, the researcher said of Thomas, his aim in writing was to incorporate as much scripture as possible and to avoid flippant or sentimental themes. (laughs) 
my kind of guy. All right. So back to the immutability of God. But in the middle of a diatribe against the wishy-washy, rebellious, and just downright evil ways of the Israelites, God says this of himself in Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. And this is, this is not the only place in scripture that he reminds us of his characteristic. Uh, I think of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, James, the half-brother half of Jesus, says it this way in chapter 1, verse 17. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There is no variation or shadow due to change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord does not change. Now you can picture it, can't you? Uh, that's the bite, by the way, of using your imagination. And bite, B-I-T-E, is Bible Interaction Tool Exercises. These are the exercises that I've curated and used in my own study time. So let's use the bite of our imagination, using our imagination. Picture a place in your mind that is bright and colorful. And now picture or envision a shadow passing over that place. The, the colors change. There's a variation in the vibrancy of the color due to the shadow. And God is saying he doesn't change. There's no variation. There's no shadow due to change. None of that happens to God our God is still the same. So when Hebrews says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the author is using the bite of compare and contrast. We, we can have confidence that the Savior that we read about in the New Testament is the same that was God and was with God in the beginning, is the same Savior today sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, is the same tomorrow and the next day and into eternity. So really, with Jesus, there's only compare. There is no contrast. Our God is still the same. And finally, I use Grammarly. It's an online grammar checking tool for many of the words that I produce each week. And Grammarly will tell me the mood of the writing style I'm using at any given time. And this week, I got an email stating that I unlocked a new mood. Grammarly said, whatever it was I wrote this week, I unlocked the mood of Frank. I guess... I was being pretty straightforward in some of the content that I wrote this week. And I think God unlocks the Frank mood when he just straight up declares, I, the Lord, do not change. And we live in an ever-changing world. We hear it all the time. Change is inevitable. I've changed states, changed jobs, changed churches, changed homes. I've even changed friends. And I've depended upon people who have been as changing as the shifting sand Sometimes they leave, sometimes they die, sometimes they lie, sometimes they move, sometimes they grow, but they change. And if I was leaning on them for something that I should have been leaning on God for, I find myself face first in the sand that shifted them away from me in the first place. God's unchanging nature should be a source of great joy for you. He is dependable. What he says will come to pass. He is complete I can totally see how he might think he keeps getting better and better to us because we see him in a new light. But he was always that way before we could see it. And he will remain for an eternity after we've had our revelation. 
Also, there's nothing I can do that will change him. I can't mess up God. I can't make him smaller, nor can I make him bigger. You might be nodding your head in agreement. You might be thinking to yourself, well, duh. But how often do we live as though what we do and who we are is a reflection on God or somehow he becomes that reflection? Our God is still the same. And because he is unchanging, we can rely on his word as unchanging. He, he doesn't redefine sin now that it's 2022. He, does, he doesn't set up cultural summits to determine what is and is not holy in our modern day. And the good news of his unchanging word is that the promise of eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ our Lord, it's written there. And it, it is as unchanging as the God who inspired it. Now, there's an account in the Old Testament that I want you to explore this week. And it's one of those places where God declares his immutability, his unchanging nature. And it's just not often that a contemporary Christian song will in- inspire us to explore the book of Numbers. So I'm going to go ahead and, and take this opportunity. So in Numbers chapters 22 through 25, there is a story about a king, a wicked prophet, a donkey, an angel, the people of God, and God himself. Uh, In the midst of this story, we read these words of God spoken through the wicked prophet Balaam to the Moab king Balak. And it says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Now, those are two rhetorical questions, meaning, yes, whatever he says he's going to do and whatever he, whatever he speaks, he will fulfill. Now, that was from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Maybe the NIV, the New, Amer- New International Version, might be easier to understand. That's a bite, by the way. You can explore various translations to help you understand Scripture. Um, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So God is revealing his character here. He's revealing this attribute of immutability. But I want you to read the entire story to see what the context is that comes out. Who, who is he saying this to? Now, it's true, uh, whether he was saying it to Balaam, Balak, or to us, it's true. I mean, he does not change, right? So it's not like, well, because the audience was different, he is going to be a different God. No, but this is a great opportunity to get caught up on uh, into the chapters surrounding this account. I'm always looking for an excuse to read larger chunks of scripture which is another bite, by the way, read larger chunks of scripture. It would be very easy for us to take the the verse out of Hebrews that we said and the verse out of of Micah that we said earlier and this, this verse in Numbers and just say, God is immutable, yay, and then move on and not really interact with larger chunks of scripture. And that's really gonna be our goal is to read the text for ourselves. So we start out in chapter 22 with Balak, the Moab king, and he summons Balaam to curse the Israelites. Now, Balak was scared. He could see how powerful the Israelites were. All you have to do is back up one chapter, which go ahead and do, right? Even more, even more scripture. Chapter 21, we see the Canaanite king of Arad destroyed. King Sihon of the Amorites was defeated. And King Og of Bashan was routed as well. So at this point, the Israelites were camped in Moab and fear just overtook the land. And so Moab and Midian joined forces to hire Balaam to curse the Israelites, which 
as a side note, they were enemies, Moab and Midian. So interesting point there as well. That's an interesting battle plan, though, don't you think? <laughs> Let's go hire uh, Balaam to curse the Israelites. This is going to be our, our battle plan. Well, have you ever heard the phrase fight fire with fire? I think they observed the supernatural defeat of these strong nations around them and felt like they needed a supernatural weapon to defeat them. So they thought to themselves, I know, we'll hire a professional sorcerer and prophet to curse them and then we can win. (laughs) Now, what they didn't understand is that they were up against an unchanging, immutable God. And so, again, I want you to read the text for yourself. It's just such a unique opportunity to take in more of Scripture than just a few verses or a chapter at a time. Uh, Every study Bible I had, by the way, and every article that I referenced said that this account is, is within chapters 22 through 24. I want you to read through chapter 25 because it shows the result of something that you don't fully uncover until later. I promise I'll explain myself. So 22 through 25, if you want to back up to to chapter 21, you can see why Balak was so concerned. It's here, by the way, that I want to introduce a brand new bite. If you've listened for long, you may have heard me say that I don't create or develop my bites. I curate them. There's nothing new under the sun. I'm always on the lookout for something that's new to me, though. So this week, I was listening to a fantastic episode of The Bible Reset. It's a podcast. I'll link to it in my show notes. The guest was a Bible teacher at a Christian school, and he shared a way of that he shares with his students of reading scripture. And he... this particular idea he learned on the mission field. So again, it, was, it wasn't even that he created it. He learned it from someone else as well. He calls it apples, bananas, and coconuts. And he said that sometimes we read scripture and it's as easy to interact with as it is to eat an apple. Pick it up, take a bite. No pun intended. Uh, then he said other passages or ideas take a little peeling back of some layers to get to the fruit like a banana. And then finally, if you've ever harvested a fresh coconut or even one that has turned um, to the hard brown shell, you know it's a lot harder to get to the good stuff in a coconut. Most likely, it's going to take some pretty sharp tools. So you can understand the story and details of what happened just by reading Numbers 22 through 25, like eating an apple. And there may be a few layers that need peeling back, uh, like the banana. And so I want you to use the bite of asking questions, maybe even jot them down as you read this account. I'm going to share a question with you that I had for as an example. Uh, The first time the delegation came to recruit Balaam, He was told by God not to go with them. And then when they persistently came back a second time, God said in verse 20 of chapter 22, he said, and God said to Balaam at night, uh, God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. Then right after that, we read in verse 22. So that's verse 20, verse 22. But God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. All right. So God told him to go, but then stood in his way when he went. Why? I'm not going to leave you hanging. Um, I'm going to share it in just a minute. But but I want you to know there are the kinds of questions. These are the kinds of questions that you can ask as you take a bite of the apple. Jot that question down and move on. But I encourage you to leave yourself hanging until you read the whole account for yourself Let the unknowing sit with you for a bit while you focus on what you can chew on without further work, okay? 
that uncomfortable feeling, my daughter calls it uncomfy, that dissonance within you is an opportunity. It is not a feeling to be shoved down, something to be swept under the rug, something to be ashamed of. There's no, There are no dumb questions. And it's really not something to be answered quickly. Like, hurry up, let me, let me, there's a dissonance, I feel uncomfy, and I'm going to look down to my study notes really quick and get the answer so that I can move on. And Because I don't like this uncomfortable feeling. And I don't want to maybe think about it for longer than just a few seconds. Now, this question that you might have, it could be a banana or it might be a coconut. Either way, uh, there will be fruit in the effort of the study that you put in afterward. It's not wrong to have questions. I would be more worried if you didn't have any And sometimes those questions can really reveal even deeper questions that you might have, like, um, do I even believe that donkeys can talk? Is this just a metaphor? And what does that mean for me if God's word says that this donkey talked, but I don't think it really did? Then can I trust God's word? These are like really these are really important questions to get to. Now, that's a coconut question, but I, I don't want you to say, I shouldn't be thinking that and never address it again. But I also want you to be able to stay in the text and really uh, read it for yourself and not get derailed by the stuff that you really can understand. So write those questions down and um, we're going to talk about how to uncover them. So the overwhelming answer to my question in every study Bible article or commentary that I read was that Balaam was released by God to go with the delegation, but retained a greedy heart. So if his heart is set on the money, then he would not have actually followed God's instructions. So obviously he would need a talking donkey to set him straight, right? All right. So if you've never read the story before, I hate to spoil it for you because it's just downright Narnia-ish, but God sends an angel to stand in the way. So if this is true, which I kind of agree with the with the, the idea because of how the story played out, Balaam's like, okay, I'm going to go um, and do just what God told me. No, in his heart, he was going to take the money and he was going to curse the Israelites. Um, so God sends this, sends this angel to stand in the way. Balaam can't see the angel, but his donkey can. And Balaam beats the daylights out of his donkey until finally the donkey actually talked back. I have to read it. Verse 28. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you've made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Oh my gosh. I can just picture Balaam like boyish and sheepish. Like, well, no, I mean, and and at what point did he go? Why? Wait, why am I talking to a donkey? I really believe the donkey talked. Um, I don't think it was like a story. I think it really happened. So I love what my ESV study Bible said about the scene. It says, this is a hilarious put down of Balaam's pretensions. The international expert on magic cannot see the angel, but his donkey can. (laughs) All right, so that's the type of conclusion that comes from taking the bite of meditating on Scripture, even storying. When you, when you meditate on Scripture and let it roll around in your mind a bit, you begin to see the big picture of things that you may have missed 
in the details or in the dissonance. And when you try to retell the story in your own words, these nuances often rise to the surface. So this idea that he's kind of like this big shot. You know, we've already mentioned on the podcast today, like fighting the supernatural with supernatural or this idea that Balaam is supposed to be a big shot expert in supernatural things, but can't see the supernatural things until God revealed it. Now, what does that say about God? All of it's so cool. And so that happens. These kinds of things happen as you think about it and as you talk to other people about it and as you try to retell it in your own words. I'm going to go a little bit long today. It's going to be worth it though. Here's a final task for you. I will put the list of cross-references uh, verses in the show notes, but you can always find the show notes at michellekneesat.com. This week is forward slash 417. Or they'll be in your inbox if you're an email subscriber. So I encourage you to do that. But there are several places in the New Testament that mention Balaam. This story is a big deal. And so you see him mentioned, you see the story that happens here, but then he's mentioned several times in the New Testament. 2 Peter 2.15, Jude 1.11. Go read those in context. See why Peter and Jude use Balaam as an example of what they were trying to teach. But the reference that I want to mention before we wrap up is the one spoken by Jesus himself in Revelation 2. In his message to the church at Pergamum, Jesus says, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. This is the Paul Harvey of what happens from chapters 22 to 24. Uh, So like the chapter 25 starts like this. It says... Uh, which, by the way, Paul Harvey, he's a radio host who was famous for like telling the rest of the story. And so what Jesus is saying here is definitely the rest of the story. Something happened between chapter 24 and 25. And Jesus is saying this is what happened. In a nutshell, Balaam could not curse the Israelites, but he figured out a way to entice the Israelites to invite God's curse upon them themselves. So verse 21, uh, verse 1 of chapter 25, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So in verse, we go from chapter 24, where Balaam can only bless, 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 bless the people of Israel. And then in chapter 25, they start uh, marrying and whoring with the daughters of Moab. So as it turns out, Balak didn't need a supernatural curse. He needed a temptation that would invite the curse that God already promised. (laughs) So that's what Balaam gave them. He didn't curse them, but he kind of showed Balak how to entice the Israelites to invite the curse on themselves. Now that's something to chew on, isn't it? All right, so what's next? I want you to read Numbers 22 through 25 for yourself but not by yourself. Invite a friend to read this account with you and start just by talking about the details maybe you've never seen before, anything interesting that you want to talk about. Read it and talk about it. Then discuss your questions with each other. I know that you will be encouraged that other people have questions too. And then maybe you know something they don't know and vice versa, or you at least know where the two of you or the group could start digging. Next, use some of the tools I'll give you in the show notes to really crack open the coconut. And then don't forget to follow those cross-references to see how important this story is in this generation. And then finally, 
ponder the important attribute of God that we've uncovered this week. He is immutable. He's unchanging. Our God is still the same. And then while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at michellekneezat or on Facebook. Michelle L. Nizat is my public page. And we can talk about what you're learning. Now, More Than a Song is a proud member of the NRT Podcast Network. Check out other podcasts in the network and Christian music resources at newreleasetoday.com. Now, I would be honored if you subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. But if you sign up on my website, then I'm able to email you once a week with the show notes, all the scriptures I use, all the live links to the resources that I've used this week in my personal study. And then my featured free resource for email subscribers this week is a one-page PDF of my top five bites. Get started moving beyond merely reading scripture. Start interacting with it, and then you can use this tool to help. So head over to michellekneezat.com to subscribe today. With that in mind, I want to thank my newest subscribers who've subscribed recently, like Jill from South Africa, Misty from Louisiana, and Charlene from Florida. Welcome. And now don't forget, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website at michellekneezat.com, through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. And you can leave a review by heading over to lovethepodcast.com forward slash more than a song. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using Thank You, Jesus, for the Blood by Charity Gale. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneezat.com forward slash 417. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.